Welcome to the AFP Report. This is your host, John Friend. Today is Tuesday, September 10th, 2023. The AFP Report is a podcast series where I will be interviewing reporters and contributors to American Free Press, America's last real newspaper, as well as other special guests. Please consider subscribing to the newspaper if you are not already. Subscription details can be found at AmericanFreePress.net. And today I'm joined by the one and only Sam Bushman, a longtime radio host and founder of the Liberty News Radio Network. Okay, Sam Bushman, welcome to the program, sir. How are you today? I'm doing fantastic. Thank you for having me, sir. Oh, thank you very much for joining me this afternoon. I appreciate it. It's quite an honor to speak with you. I have heard your broadcast before, and I've also heard you on with our good friend and fellow AFP contributor, James Edwards. And we will certainly have no shortage of topics to address today. Before we do that, though, first off, let me just start off by encouraging all of our listeners to consider subscribing to American Free Press if they are not already. AFP is America's last real newspaper. It is a populist, independent, national print and digital newspaper published bi-weekly. So every two weeks we put out a new issue. It's, of course, known as America's last real newspaper, and I think it definitely lives up to that reputation. We are not afraid to tackle the most controversial and pressing issues facing America and really the wider world. So please do consider supporting our efforts by picking up a subscription today. The website with all those details is AmericanFreePress.net. Hey, can I tell you a quick story that relates to all this? Oh, yeah, sure. I've been around so long that I used to read the Spotlight magazine as a teenager Loved it. Fantastic. That's where I kind of cut my teeth on knowing what's really going on in America. And I know it's the American Free Press now, but Pat Shannon, dear friend of mine, has been on the radio with me for literally decades, breaking stories and talking about things. So he's a dear friend as well. Piper and others have been around and watched you guys and support everything you're doing. Oh, that's so cool. That's awesome to hear. Yeah, I know Pat Shannon. It's been a while since I've actually talked to him, but um, I still read his material, and we're actually getting ready to publish a couple of his articles in the next edition of the Barnes Review History Magazine. Oh, um, good. Yeah, yeah, that's sort of a, a totally separate subject. But yeah, no, I know I know Pat well, and, and of course the, and, the and legendary. And I know he's off kind of doing some of his own stuff now too. I'm just telling you though that I go back that historical long, sir. <laughs> yeah, no, that well, that's cool. That's awesome. There's uh there's quite a few people that I've ran into over the years that go back to the spotlight days. Which is yes, really, really cool. And, and basically, American Free Press is the successor of the Spotlight newspaper. So there's a lot of overlap there and certainly a lot of overlap with uh, with many of the writers that contributed to the Spotlight and later American Free Press, including, as you mentioned, Michael Collins Piper, the, the late legendary Michael Collins Piper, who was a major, major influence on me when I first got started in the alternative media. Um, but that's cool that you mentioned that. And that kind of goes to how I want to start off this podcast um, and that is, I mean, since you're a first-time guest here, I'd like for you to just kind of start off by introducing yourself. I know you are a longtime radio host and a broadcaster, and you founded Liberty News Radio Network. That website, by the way, is libertynewsradio.com, and you can find all of the great shows hosted on the network there right on the website. And I know you are also involved with and serve as the CEO and National Operations Director for the Constitutional Sheriffs and Peace Officers Association. So please, can you just give us some basic background details of your career and activism in the alternative media and maybe talk about like – Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. I'll I'll turn it over to you. So I've got a wife and eight kids first of all. Good for you. Uh, God bless you guys. I've got a big family and stuff like that. Um, uh, I'm a totally blind person. I've been blind since birth. And I started out at about five years old while my friends were playing baseball, literally listening to a transistor radio and listening to Wolfman Jack. And I'm like, you know what? I could do that. And so literally as a little kid, like five years old, my mom checked into broadcasting school and they're like, forget it, kid. You'll never make it. It's like being a rock star. Um, Well, I get the last laugh. I started getting a degree in psychology. Uh, I ended up being pretty good at computers because I got a computer and a scanner so that I could read books. Well, there was computers and girls in the in the computer lab, and so I'd go in there and help the girls with their computers, and the guy came over to me, and he said, hey, Sam, you want a job? You're pretty good at this, and that's kind of how my IT career started, uh, and then I was helping a friend with a political campaign, believe it or not, the Bogue Rights campaign back in 91, uh, and I heard some talk show hosts late at night, and they were talking about some hard-hitting talk, and I went, man, 
these guys are either off the rails crazy and need to be exposed or they need to be promoted. Well, they were right after my research. So I started promoting them, and that's how I got my start in radio. Uh, and I never got a degree in psychology, but I am an IT guy for a living. Uh, and anyway, so I got into radio that way, and I started telling the tale on radio. And I was complaining about the media to a guy. And he actually happened to be a radio station owner. And he goes, why don't you just shut up and buy a radio station then? Well, my wife and I had just built a home. We had a brand new home we just built. And I, I conned my wife into selling our house, and I bought a radio station, man. And that's how I got my start in the radio career. I Boy, ran that that's station a, that's for 10 years. Yeah. <laughs> I ran that station for 10 years. I was chief bottle washer, chief engineer. I mean, it was chief salesman. It was kind of a boomer bust scenario. But I learned the ropes of radio, and I've been a nationally syndicated radio pretty much that whole time as well. So my radio program is called Liberty Roundtable Live. It's a two-hour-a-day, six-day-a-week show currently. Uh, and that show, libertyroundtable.com, um, is hard-hitting talk, and it's been syndicated, and I've been on the radio for 27 years now doing that show. Uh, and so I really learned kind of what was going on from the Spotlight magazine in the 80s to then my experience in the media in the 90s. And I've been kind of going strong ever since. So my career is an IT guy for a living. Uh, but, you know, as things go more digital and podcasting and satellite and all these different things, before you know it, uh, my skills as an IT guy fit you know, better than the skills of, um, you know, the old time radio transmitter engineer kind of guys. And so uh, my two kind of loves fit together, radio and, and, and computers. And that's kind of how I got involved, how I started Liberty News Radio. I started that organization in 2009. And I used to build radio networks for other people before that. I helped build several other radio networks, the Accent Radio Network and a bunch of other networks, uh, and helped run them. And my show was syndicated on several of them. One of my shows, was uh, Liberty Roundtable, was on Republic Broadcasting with John Statmiller back in the day. And one day, uh, their board ops wouldn't show up a lot. They were just unreliable. And so I said, hey, John, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do my own board ops of my own show. He goes, if you do that, you're fired. I said, no, John, come on, let's talk reason here. He said, no, you're fired. And I said, okay, well, I've got 30 days till the end of my contract. He goes, you don't have a contract, Sam. You're gone today. You don't even do your show tomorrow. Okay, you got it? I said, John, I'm just telling you, buddy, you don't want to do this to me. He said, oh, whatever. And shut up. Well, man, he pissed me off. So I drank uh, Code Red Mountain Dew all night and built my own radio network in one night because he pissed me right off. The next day I was on the radio. Uh, and he, he didn't have a show. And he called me after the show, and he said, I cannot believe it. How the hell are you on the air? I said, dude, I told you you don't want to do this. He said, can I take your show till I find a replacement? I said, hell no. Uh, that's the story of, wow. of John Statmiller and Republic and how I started Liberty News Radio. And I swore to myself I would never trust another network to be the decider if I was on the air or not ever again. And so Liberty News Radio, I'm syndicated by a bunch of other shows and, and people and places and things. But I will never take down Liberty News Radio because, look, they're not going to take me off the air, damn it. That's not happening. So when I owned my radio station, the FCC, the IRS, and the USDA all attacked me at the same time. I beat them all. All right? So I'm just telling you, the IRS, the FCC, the USDA, all these people, I, I'm not afraid to take these people on, and I'm not afraid to do my own radio stuff. And so part of the reason that it's unique in what I do is in that, you know what? Those people don't control me. Uh, and I've got Liberty News Radio because I, I don't want to ever be taken off the air again. Spotlight Magazine taught me in my experience in the radio business. Hey, man, he who owns the media makes the rules, John. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, that's interesting because I was actually just uh, reading LibertyNewsRadio.com earlier today, and you kind of talk about how when you first discovered alternative media, and especially like it sounds like in your day, it was really um, alternative radio broadcasts. Before, I, you discovered some of these alternative radio broadcasts before the Spotlight, right? No, the spotlight was first. I learned the spotlight oh, okay. as a teenager in the 80s and read that. Okay. And then when I started in media, I'm like, oh, my gosh. It all just kind of came back, right? Right, yeah. Well, that, okay, so that's interesting. I mean, and, and you sort of mentioned and explained how you wanted to get involved. You wanted to get these programs broadcast to a wider audience. You know, However, of course, that, that took time and effort and probably most importantly, money. And you recognized – how the media itself is just majorly influenced by big money, and I'm curious. Oh yeah, because I, I went to this guy who owned the radio station that I was listening to late at night, and I said, "Hey man, you know this program is great," and he's like, "I don't even know what you're talking about. I just flip on the satellite and go home. I don't even have any idea." And I'm like, "Well, can we put the stuff like on at a better time instead of the middle of the night?" And he's like, "No." And I'm like, "Well, come on." He's like, "No." I'm like, "All right, I'll pay you to put it on." He goes, "Okay." I learned my lesson fast. And I also learned that advertisers either want to control you or they drop you like a rock, John. Yeah, I, I certainly believe you. 
Well, that's interesting. I mean, and that's certainly the case with, I think, most, you know, especially the, the big corporate mass media outlets. It's a little bit different with independent publications like American Free Press, for example, um, and probably your, I'd imagine your radio network as well. Um, but that's certainly the case with these big corporate mass media outlets and publications. And another topic I wanted to bring up is you, you see these like public opinion polls come out. In fact, I wrote a piece for American Free Press just earlier this year highlighting a recent study. It was a survey of American voters and their trust and faith in the mainstream mass media. Yeah, they're and, sick of it. And yeah, and like they're just – their credibility and their views – and their audience is just absolutely cratering. And I'm curious, what, why do you think yeah, that is? Why are they losing Americans legitimacy? Want a new party, right? Right, right. Well, yeah, the political establishment in general seems to be losing all sorts of legitimacy. But the media, I think, is – I've argued that the media is actually probably an even more important factor because they're able to set the – set the boundaries of the way discussions are framed. They set the, they sort of set the tone for the way political discussions are had and, and not only political issues, but historical issues, cultural issues, racial issues, pretty much any issue facing the country. So the media plays a key role and they're very, um, they're very good at what they do, at least historically. Um, but again, you know, you see it reflected in public opinion polls and even just talking to average people on the street. Most people recognize that these big corporate media outlets clearly have an agenda and they're very dishonest and Here's they're very politicized. I think that the population is starting to get sick of it and say, you know what, enough is enough. And I, I, I'm a, a kind of a constitutional scholar. I've been teaching the Constitution for a long time, too. Uh, and I give public speeches around the country, and I develop two presentations. One of them is called He Who Owns the Media Makes the Rules. Uh, the other one is called The New Media Takes Center Stage. And I think that's the difference that we've seen. Before, they used to call us nuts and just whacked out. And, uh, the problem is the gatekeeping days of these clowns because of the Internet is over. And they're starting to realize, and so they're getting desperate. And the more desperate they get, the more moves they make that expose their true evil hand. Uh, it used to be to where they could do sleight of hand, and since they were the gatekeepers, you couldn't know any different. Now there's guys like me to call them on the carpet. The Southern Poverty Law Center attacks me, says I'm a racist. Well, then I just expose the Southern Poverty Law Center and hit back ten times harder and go, you clowns have had your attorney arrested, and he's up on terrorism charges, domestic terrorism charges right now. What are you talking about? Yep. Well, see, that changes the game, my friend. What do they do now? Because I'm speaking facts, truth to power. They cannot handle that. Well, the American people are starting to see, and every time they do that and they're just so unhinged, they lose credibility. They used to say somebody was a racist, and oh, boy, that would deep-six you in your career and your character. And Now everybody goes, oh, really? They're probably a good guy. Uh, yeah. Really? Yeah. And, and there's They're yeah. probably somebody who will tell me the truth for a change, right? And there's even public opinions – Public opinion polls that demonstrate that that have, that have come out recently, that you know people yeah, people right. are like increasingly like not even concerned about these totally weaponized slurs that are thrown about by organizations like the SPLC or the ADL or you know some of these other far left organizations and far left politicians. You know, so they'll use Hate Watch at the Southern Poverty Law Center, and I'll just create a website. I'm in the middle of creating one right now called Hate Scam. So they can go ahead and do the hate watch, and I'll just expose their hate scam. It's pl classic projection. These people are psychotic. They're full of hate and distrust and dishon and we're going to expose them. Then they start to attack me personally and say, oh, Sam knows James Edwards. You know what? <laughs> so what? You clowns are tied to communism, and I'll prove it. Okay, this is what we're talking about, and, and the American free press has been a leader in all that stuff. Well, now this is going mainstream with my efforts in the, in the media, with the new media taking center stage, with the American free press, with the work you're doing, John. Uh, look, they can't hold back the tide. Their gatekeeping days are over, buddy. Absolutely, yeah. You're, I, I totally agree with you, and I think – and this is another question. Um, I think that – Trump has played a huge role in all of this and like discrediting the mass media. I mean, he was out there calling the mass media the enemy of the American people. And I think that's and he's pretty right. true to a large extent anyways. I mean, at least like generally speaking, yes, the media he's is right. there. Yeah, and he's calling yeah. a spade a spade and he's made a tremendous effort and he's really moved the needle to making it more mainstream. But my response to Donald is welcome to the party, brother. Right. While you were a clown show doing cameos, I was telling the tale of truth. So I appreciate you joining the party, Donald. Why don't you fund us now? 
Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. I I, I agree with you. That's the <laughs> so thing. I mean, he'll... don't get me wrong. I'm here to make a point about. There's been a lot of us who have really taken the hit and the heat for a long time. Um, you know, the spotlight was one of the early folks. John Birch Society was one of the early folks that have been just attacked relentlessly over the years, and we've been proven right. Mm-hmm. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, no, I exactly. I mean, I think anybody that's kind of stuck their neck out there and and started, you know broaching some of these more taboo topics has suffered in some way usually it's professionally where you'll get fired from your job or you know you'll get harassed and doxxed by some of these far-left activists including many who work directly for the southern poverty law center you mentioned that lawyer that got arrested earlier this year in atlanta the guy's name yeah, is Tom, thomas jurgens broke that story by the way yeah no i know i got a major tip from james and i wrote a big report about it for american free press when it first happened and then just recently actually just a couple weeks ago there was a huge um indictment announced by the state of georgia that indicted like 50 or 60 of these far left criminals yeah. that and were the, tied the up and the... they tried to get him out of it and say he was just there for observation purposes the judge is like no you're a domestic terrorist too we're not letting you off the hook so we'll see right. where that goes but uh yeah you know, again and these guys say that i'm a bad guy dangerous for the country and my response is i don't know if you know john i'm a totally blind person i don't even have a speeding ticket buddy okay i don't have any criminal activity of any kind yeah exactly well, I mean, it's just like you said, it's it's classic projection. And, you know, that's how, that's the way these people operate. They just smear you and they try to get everybody to deplatform you and ostracize you and take away any of your financial support, any of your advertising. Look at what they're doing with Elon Musk. Although I just saw earlier. Yeah, they're mad today, at me, though, because they can't discover where my money comes from. Mm. So they tried to say the Mormon church funded me, by the way, and they got caught lying about that because the Mormon church hasn't given me a penny, by the way. I run a couple of their public service announcements because they are pro-family and they talk about you know, some pretty good stuff about families and stuff. So I run their public service announcements for free just because I like them, but I don't get a penny from them. But they tried to claim that that's where my money was coming from. I've exposed that as a fraud too. They're lying. Yeah, well, good for you. So that leads to one final question kind of just about the media. And I'm curious, and you've sort of, I guess, already addressed it, but are you optimistic of the prospects of alternative media outlets going forward. I mean, I think it's clear we've made a lot of traction in recent years. And Trump, as I mentioned, I think Trump has played a key role in sort of just totally exposing the mainstream corporate mass media as being, you know, in his words, the enemy of the people. Um, although that being said, I think we certainly have a, a long ways to go. But I think um, we've definitely made a lot of progress. So I'm curious the prospects of alternative media going forward. It's going to be rough because they're trying to throw us all in jail, John. That's their real end game. You know, they want to throw Stuart Rhodes in jail wrongfully. They want to throw Evan Bundy in jail. They want to throw me in jail. They want to throw you in jail. That's their end game. And the question is, will the American people wake up fast enough to change the game enough to stop that? You know what? The jury's out on that in the short term. But in the long term, George Washington had a vision, and the United States ends up in a civil war, and angels come down to help the righteous followers of God Almighty, and we win. So short term, it's going to be rough. Long term, I have confidence that we're on the right side of the of this discussion. Absolutely. And another another aspect of it is despite what happens, I mean, I've been through all sorts of challenges speaking publicly about these issues using my real name. And it's never going to it's not, nothing's ever stopped me. It's only just made me redouble in my efforts. And I think that's the case with most people that are involved in this. Um, so yeah, I mean, we're, we're certainly not going anywhere. We're not going to back down. And yeah, I think we're, we're, we're making a lot of, making a lot of progress and, and gaining a lot of traction. So, um, and with the more that said, we stand together, John, the greater chance we have, I might say, the more we go uh, viral in, in terms of, uh, you know what, go big or go home. Don't back away. Don't be afraid to tell the tale. The more visible you get and the more associations we make, the harder it is for them to uh, manipulate the truth and take us down. Yes, Absolutely. Well, okay, with that being said, with your background kind of out of the way in, in your broadcasting career, tell me about your experience with the CSPOA. That's the Constitutional Sheriffs and Peace Officers Association. How did you get involved with this organization? Because you yourself were never in law enforcement, were you? I have never been in law enforcement. I'm a totally blind person, so you know I don't, I don't get a chance for any of that. But I will say this. Here's the deal. I've been a radio host forever. When Richard Mack in the early 90s started taking on Bill Clinton, and he was gearing up 
for the Supreme Court. I got wind of it, called him up and started interviewing him before he even won at the Supreme Court. Well, anyway, I interviewed him, and after he won at the Supreme Court, I kept interviewing him. After uh, he was a sheriff and all that kind of stuff, he started doing CSPOA work. I was involved with the CSPOA, or I should say with Richard Mack, before it was even the CSPOA. The CSPOA officially came to being in 2011. But I worked with Richard Mack since the mid-90s before he even won his court case all the way through. So I was there when the CSPOA was started, and I've been with him virtually from the beginning. Interesting. Now, his when this was going down, is this was this his sort of battle with uh, the Clinton administration in this Brady Bill controversy? Yes. Was it okay? That, yeah, yeah, that was going to so say. So he was basically a two-time sheriff, and when he was sheriff, um, Bill Clinton said, "Hey, we're going to shove the Brady Bills down the throats," and they called all the sheriffs together and said, "You three thousand sheriffs in the country are going to, you know, do the bidding and carry this out." And a lot of sheriffs were just, you know, pissed off and complained and swore, but nobody had any guts to do anything. So he, he and, and Sheriff Mack was the one that really filed the legal paperwork to challenge this. To challenge That's the how it bill. started, yes. Eventually there became okay. like seven different sheriffs that were aboard. It's called the Prince Mack case because they, uh, as court cases get merged together. But Richard was the first to file. Uh, he was the one that really took it all the way to the Supreme Court. His dear wife gets credit. He was debating if he should do it. And his wife said, honey, you have to. Wow, so that's cool. uh, it's really a tremendous personal family story. Um, but he went all the way to the Supreme Court and won. And then ever since then, he's been teaching the principles taught by Anthony Scalia and the majority of the Supreme Court at the time. They then come back and claim that we're, uh, you know, basing our views on political theory. And my response is, since when did the Supreme Court become political theory? Right. Well, even I mean, we're going to talk more about the SPLC, but I was just reading an article, um, a very <laughs> just hysterical article that they wrote, which is pretty much how all their articles turn out. But they were describing the CSPOA as like an anti-government, anti-American organization. I'm like, actually, it's <laughs> it seems to me to be a pro-Constitution. Well, you let's know, set the record straight. Yeah. Richard Mack worked as a sheriff and as a police officer. So he worked in law enforcement, which means literally government elected for uh, half of that. Uh, and um, how is that anti-government? Furthermore, yeah, exactly. when he had a conflict with the government over something, he used the proper governmental challenges to redress grievance all the way to the Supreme Court. How is that anti-government? Now, teaching what the Supreme Court articulated, how is that anti-government? Now, all of our trainers, our current sheriffs or former sheriffs or current law enforcement or former law enforcement, okay, now they say that I'm anti-government. My response is I am anti-rogue government. That's a fact. But I am for the proper role of constitutional government. I believe in the supreme law of our land. Any law that goes against the supreme law is null and void. The Declaration of Independence says government derives its just power from the consent of the governed. I've been teaching the Constitution as a scholar for more than 25 years. How am I anti-government? And the answer right. is I'm not. They lie. Right, exactly. Well, you're anti their form of government, which is like this far left tyranny that they've well, of course attempted I'm to establish. Our founders yeah. warned against it. And of course, I'm anti-government bureaucrats asserting their power unconstitutionally. The governor of New Mexico, for example, should absolutely be arrested for her criminal activity to try to deny us our right to keep and bear arms. That's what King George did. And the founders wouldn't tolerate it. Yeah, so that's how we need to simply say we're not tolerating it. They claim when we say now, this is interesting, and I bring this up because it's 27 years later. Richard Mack won at the Supreme Court. Now the same issues at hand. The governor says we're taking away your guns. The local sheriff said I'm not going to obey that order. The yep. attorney general of the state of New Mexico said I'm not going to obey that unconstitutional order. The New Mexico Sheriff's Association, the Arizona Sheriff's Association, the Western States Sheriff's Association all came on record and said this is absolutely unconstitutional and we should not obey. The police, the police chief. Sir? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I, I that, this is another story, another topic that I wrote about in a recent edition of American Free Press. Even the local police chief, who usually the police chief is, is pretty cozy with the mayor. Yeah, even because the, they're even the police not chief. elected is why. Yeah. So anyways, yeah, that was an, an interesting story. And it shows you like, I mean, the government every with every crisis this. And in many cases, these crises. But I got a quote, challenge quote, for crisis, the governor of New Mexico. If we're wrong and the sheriff can't obey the governor or has to obey the governor's order instead of the supreme law, why doesn't the governor just go arrest the sheriff then? There's one answer, John, because the governor will get arrested. That's why. Right. 
I'm so sorry. I mentioned before the show that um, I have major wind and my door just like blew open. I thought it blew off the hinges. Hold on one second. You're all good. I'll fill the gap in the meantime. My name is Sam Bushman. I'm with your dear host, John Friend. I'm grateful to be here and tell you my story, which is God, family, and country, and the protection of life, liberty, and property. Those are kind of the components to my nationally syndicated radio talk show at libertyroundtable.com. I'm the owner of a group called Liberty News Radio. I cut my teeth on Spotlight Magazine, the predecessor to the American Free Press that you guys are all familiar with, and I'm grateful to be part of this incredible effort to be truth tellers, to focus on things that matter most. And I've been with Richard Mack at the Constitutional Sheriffs and Peace Officers Association since its inception. I've been working with Sheriff Richard Mack even before he won his Supreme Court case and beat Bill Clinton at the Supreme Court. And it's funny how they like to mock Richard Mack and mock me and claim we're anti-government, claim we're paramilitary. Um, The fact is, you know what? We use the Supreme Court case ruling as our quintessential point. Government officials do not have to obey any unlawful order, period, end of paragraph. Why? Because there's jurisdictions. They say, well, you teach that the sheriff's more powerful than the president. Lie. No, we don't. We teach there's jurisdictional boundaries to the president, too. And in the county, the sheriff is the chief law enforcement officer. If you go look at that Supreme Court case, they call him the Clio. What does that stand for? Chief law enforcement officer. Even the court calls them that. Well, if you're the chief law enforcement officer in your county, who's above you in the county? Answer, executive branch, nobody. They say, well, you're saying the sheriff's a king then, right? No, not hardly. There's three branches of government at the county level. There's the judicial, the executive, right, and the legislative. Those are all three branches of government. Plus, the sheriff's elected by the people and have to account to the people that elected him. There's all kinds of checks and balances on the sheriff. But he still has tremendous authority. He still has an oath of office to uphold, and he still needs to protect his citizens from even government, and he needs to guarantee due process to all of us. These are Mm -hmm. fundamental Christian realities. I'm sorry, the constitutional realities that they don't know how to reckon with, John. Right. Yeah, sorry about that. I'm back. (laughs) Um, So yeah, that's that's all very well said. I completely agree with you. One thing I did want to uh, bring up and maybe have you sort of elaborate on is this the whole Brady bill going back to this constitutional dispute with Richard Mack and the federal government, the Clinton administration at the time. This was a law that was enacted in what, like 94? Can you talk about this and what it what it attempted to do and how it was in fact illegal according to even the Supreme Court? Yeah, so there's a bunch of components to the bill and part of it was enacted and part of it was negated by the Supreme Court case win by Sheriff Mack. And there's a lot of uh, details to the bill, but basically what they were saying is sheriffs, you will demand background checks and you will, you know, follow up and guarantee these different things to restrict the right to keep and bear arms in America. And Richard Mack said, I will not do that. And President Clinton said, you will, sheriff, shut up and sit down or I'll arrest you. And Sheriff Mack said, come on. I don't think you'll arrest me. And they went all the way to the Supreme Court, and Richard Mack won and Bill Clinton lost. It's a very clear case that the mainstream press does not want to talk about. They do not want to discuss. They will not openly debate us or discuss this with us because they know they'll lose. And the proof in the pudding is what happened in New Mexico recently. Literally 27 years later, the same kind of idea came. The governor pretended to be Bill Clinton, and the sheriff said no. Uh Uh-uh. We're not doing that. It's unconstitutional. Now, on one hand, they want to claim that we must obey orders. But the Supreme Court documents that the sheriffs and the local and state officials, they are under no obligation jurisdictionally to obey the president. He doesn't have authority over them. There's dual sovereignty in America. The general government with very narrow, limited power and the states with much broader power and the local municipalities. There's checks and balances vertically and horizontally in America. But here's my question for Joe Biden. And for all you clowns who think that you got to obey every order, how come then it's illegal for these you know, people to just cross the border, but then they have sanctuary cities and say we're not going to obey the, the requirement that they got to be deported? They can't just run around illegal in the country, but they ignore that, don't they? How do they have all a both ways? They say yeah. we can't do that, but they do that. Well, what about Joe Biden then? He literally said I'm going to give student loan money. Just you know, get you off the hook. Student loans, just be forgiven. And they literally took it to court, and the court said, no, you can't do that. You don't have authority or power, Joe. Well, Joe doesn't care. He's still doing it even when the courts told him no. And they have the guts to say we won't follow orders? Well, there's a direct order by the court that says, Joe, you can't forgive these student loans. Joe doesn't care, does he? So see, these criminals have a two 
uh, pronged agenda. One, pretend we must obey law- unlawful orders. Pretend that when somebody gets out of control government-wise that it circumvents the supreme law of our land. That's a lie. On the other hand, they violate the very laws they accuse us of violating. We say don't obey an unlawful order when it conflicts against the supreme law. In other words, obey the supreme law. They thumb their nose at everything rule of law while they then suggest that we can't do that. We're doing it for rightful purposes to protect the citizenry. They're doing it to stomp on the citizenry like jackbooted thugs, John. Yes, absolutely. Well, I mean, you kind of have already elaborated on the role that sheriffs play in American society. I mean, they're at, at least their constitutional role and the power that they have. But now, I mean, are you familiar with the concept of anarcho-tyranny? It's something, yes, I am. Yeah, I mean, it's a topic that we've been reporting on in the pages of American Free Press for a long time. In fact, uh, James Edwards had a really good column uh, sort of get, providing multiple examples of the concept of anarcho-tyranny playing out in American society almost on a daily basis. So, I mean, we've seen the rule of law become entirely weaponized and politicized in many cases, while criminals yeah, really are the treated with of kids' law, gloves. Though, that's being weaponized, not the rule of law. The color of law is being weaponized. Okay, right. That's a good good. And I don't mean to play games, but I want people to understand what we're talking about here, right? Yeah. No, no, no. Go ahead. You could elaborate on it. The the color of law. Look, if you go look at the Declaration of Independence, it talks about, hey, King George was out of control. He was doing all this, that, him and his minions and his and, – and they documented – and they called it pretend legislation. When you put things on the books that aren't law, let's say you say I'm a governor and I'm going to demand you wear masks or I'm the so-and-so and I'm going to demand you get vaccinated or I'm the this and I'm the that. you got to wear your seatbelt. you got to whatever. It's the color of law. It is not law. There's only one group that can make laws in America that's called the legislative branch, and they are not allowed to make any law they want to. Just because a law passes, that doesn't mean it's legitimate. They're allowed to make laws according to the contract. The contract is the supreme law of the land, the constitution at the general level, and the state constitution at the state level. It's a dual contract, two contracts. They cannot make laws that violate the contract, okay? Uh, but whether they can make laws or not, you can't have people from other branches, branches just send out edicts and say it's the law. They know it's not the law. That's why they say, oh, this is a mandate. Yes, I well, was just going to say. A mandate's not law. It's the color of law. The Declaration of Independence says it's pretend legislation, John. Yeah. No, you're right. You're absolutely right. I was. Just, I, that was the first thing that came to my mind was during the whole coronavirus uh, pandemic, ale- alleged pandemic, you know, we, we saw these quote-unquote mandates and recommendations and guidance acting under the color of law, essentially. And orders. Or, right. they get the public, right to public send health out orders? orders yeah. Who do they think they are? Right. I that's know. That's not it's the out, way America works, ladies and gentlemen. And for me to call them on the carpet and say you're exceeding your authority, you're out of control, they say I'm anti-government. No, shame on you criminals for advancing anti-government principles and then projecting onto me that, I anti- that I'm anti-government. That is a lie straight from the pit of hell, and it's got to stop. Well, a, a major – like sort of rationale that they use certainly in in recent years with the you know the covid pandemic and even this governor down in uh, in New Mexico she simply declared a quote unquote public health crisis uh, and she was the the public health crisis was gun violence therefore she issues this this executive order you know basically totally erasing the, the whole entire concept of the second amendment both at the federal and the state level i mean New Mexico has pretty lenient, um, you know, firearm restrictions. And, you know, she basically said, all this is out the window. This is my order due to this alleged crisis. So they use and these And my response crises. is a simple yeah. one. Where do you get authority to think that crisis gives you extra power? Right. Where is that right. documented? In the state constitution? In the general constitution? Where do you assume that extra, quote, authority or power? And the answer is it doesn't exist. In fact, the constitution was written to deal with crisis and to prevent crisis and to stop thugs like you from pretending you have power that you do not have. Okay? Yes, absolutely. So stop already. There's no crisis of the day that justifies setting aside the supreme law and the checks and balances and due process for every American. Yeah, no, I, I agree, man. It's it's totally outrageous. Um, and in this the, the whole anarcho tyranny thing as well is really just oh my gosh, it's it's so heartbreaking reading some of these stories. Here's a perfect example. I actually just came across this today. I don't know if you saw this. 
Um, this was a, a story published by the Daily Mail in the UK. It was published just the other day on October 3rd. A beloved Tennessee father of three, he's 38 years old, a white guy, he shot to death at point-blank range on the way to his high school reunion by a career criminal. This guy had over 60 prior arrests, and um, the, the the gentleman who was murdered, uh, his name was Christopher Wright, 38, he had three kids, married, father of three. He, I think he went to Yale University. He was like a, an Ivy League guy, very, very prominent member in the community, very much beloved father and well-respected man in the community. The guy who shot him is a 57-year-old, just, I mean, career criminal. He, he's had 66 criminal charges over his life. Yeah, but this is where anarcho-tyranny comes in. You got That's what I mean. on one hand and tyranny on the other hand. Right. Look, I'll, I'll, I'll give it to you this way. Stuart Rhodes is in prison, and Hunter Biden runs free. If that doesn't tell you the tale, I don't know what does. Right. Well, I mean, it's just incredible. I mean, what was this guy doing out on the streets? And this is one of, I mean, we could probably sit here and talk about example after example after example of innocent Americans being victimized by these total criminals that are just let loose on the streets. This guy had a, a charge. He was he was charged with first degree murder in 2010, and his, his charges were dismissed by the court. As I mentioned, he had over 66 other charges over the course of his life. And he's out on the street with a gun murdering this guy. It's just absolutely outrageous. And again, there's this is one of so many cases that happen on almost a daily basis. It's absolutely well, it's, it's absolutely scandalous. You even saw the congressman get carjacked, right? Yeah, yeah. Just, so, Henry Quayle you know, the other hey, day, yeah. <laughs> I mean, if that doesn't demonstrate the point, we don't know what does, right? Well, and, and see, this is another thing I wanted to bring up. I mean, ever since Biden took – took power, quote unquote, was elected. He stepped as soon as he stepped foot in the White House, basically all we've heard from him and all of his top officials in his administration, all the leading Democrats and even some of these rhino Republicans. And of course, you know, the left wing media, they've been saying that, quote unquote, white supremacists and domestic extremists and, you know, MAGA supporters pose the greatest threat to the homeland and the American people. We saw how all these people that showed up in the nation's capital quite peacefully, by the way, and in many cases let inside the building by law enforcement themselves have been treated and, you know, totally like just had the whole book thrown at them. Many of them are serving, you know, multiple year sentences, including many of the Proud Boys. And I mean, this is despite the fact that many of these groups were infiltrated by government operatives, according to their own court documents and were sort of manipulated and Look, the FBI set up to do this. I didn't even know how many um, agitators they had in the crowd. They had to do a poll to find out by force of the court. Right. Yeah, no, it's it's just outrageous. I mean, the, the total double standards. Now, meanwhile, just leading up to the 2020 election, that whole summer, that whole like color revolution that played yeah, the out. The summer of love, yeah. my friend. Yeah, the summer of Antifa, Antifa and BLM criminals and terrorists literally burning down virtually every major city across the country. I mean, these people were not even arrested in many cases. Yeah, talk let about alone an insurrection. Think about yeah. creating Chaz in the middle of Seattle. That's yeah, an insurrection. Yeah, exactly. People. That's what I mean. I mean, these people didn't even face jail time in, in many of the cases anyways. And even worse, they ended up suing local officials for – if they were actually detained or arrested, they even sued local officials for doing – you know, for, for taking that action and have you know, won these like multi-million dollar settlements with some of these major cities across the country. It's just – I mean it's almost like unbelievable how – out of whack the criminal justice system has become in recent years. Well, the clown media is a complicit part of it. Uh, the government is involved with it. And that's where I call out rogue government and say, shame on you people. We, the people are the ones that matter. You all work for us by the consent of the governed. Do they drive their just power? That's the declaration of independence folks. And we put together a, dual sovereign contract, the state constitution for whatever state you're in and the general constitution. We said, look, these are the rules you clowns need to live by. Now do it. And if they violate it, we need to call them on the carpet and push back a lot harder than we're doing. Now, I don't mean violence. I'm saying peaceful. I don't mean paramilitarily. I mean, we can throw out the bums when they're not doing what's right and elect somebody else. 
Uh, I mean, we can go ahead and push back in very peaceful, productive ways. And the new media taking center stage, John Friend's show and others, uh, the American Free Press and other groups, you know, those people are making the biggest difference because, you know what, it gives us a forum to, one, get caught up on the real news, the who, what, when, where, why of stories. And it also allows us then to say, you know what, we're not alone. Right. Yeah, exactly, man. And see, that's the thing, like the like the weaponization of the rule of law and just this anarchy tyranny is it's it's like impossible to ignore. I mean, you see stories in city after city across the country, literally on a daily basis of example like the of examples like this. And I mean, the double standards, the gaslighting from the media is just you simply can't even ignore it or deny it anymore. It's just blatantly in your face. Well, it's a psychosis frenzied. You see it with the never Trumpers or the always Trumpers. They can't think for themselves. Um, you know what? I like a lot of what Donald does. There's some things I don't like that he does. I'm real about that. I'm not here to attack Trump. In fact, Donald Trump Jr. came on my on my radio show on Super Tuesday when he got elected. So, Donald, just a hint. Um, if you want to get elected again, start hanging out with the people that can get you elected, sir. Uh, but anyway – I digress, except that my point is that, you know what, we are making a big difference. People cannot underestimate the value of the American Free Press, the value of the John Friend podcast and show and, and what you're doing. Uh, look, the, the work that you're doing is immeasurable. It is incalculable. The, the, the solutions you're providing, uh, the, the cohesiveness. Uh, the opportunity for people to be informed and then to, to get involved in peaceful, productive ways. Um, this is the answer, John. Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree. Well, there's one final topic I want to bring up, and that's sort of like a recent development with your organization, um, the the, Consti the Constitutional Sheriffs and Peace Officers, Officers Association. And that's what, what is going on with the SPLC? Because I know they've attacked you guys in the past. I'm actually looking at. Oh my! I'm actually gosh, looking at an article. To new levels is all. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking at an article <laughs> from February of this year. That's basically just a big hit piece on you. It is and, clown show yeah. stuff, man. It's crazy. Well, what what can you give us some background details and talk about yeah. what's so happened recently? Yeah. When you're over the target, John, they say you're catching flack. That's all that's happening here. They know that our solution is so effective, so peaceful, so promising, so hope filled. So solution oriented that they don't know what to do with themselves. And they know that if we set brush fires of freedom all around the country, they know that their days are numbered in terms of their ability to, to gatekeep and control and manipulate and lie and promote communism and socialism and all their isms. They know their days are numbered if what we propose gains ground. That is the county sheriff. And Richard Mack wrote a book. He's the president and founder of CSPOA. Uh, and the book is called The County Sheriff America's Last Hope. Because remember, sheriffs can create posses. Posses can be the people backing their constitutional sheriff. And so when you have a clown like Bill Clinton say, hey, we're going to take away everybody's guns, and the sheriff says, no, you're not. Imagine that the sheriff has a posse of 500,000 Americans with all kinds of different training to help him. They're afraid of that. They think it's going military. It's not. It's the way the founding fathers stopped militants, stopped government from taking too much power. It's a peaceful exercise, legitimately authorized by the proper role of constitutional government. The sheriff is duly elected, uh, and the sheriff has the ability to, uh, you know what, gain support from wherever he thinks necessary. Okay, and so uh, they're afraid of this solution. What if sheriffs across the country to a man said, you're not shutting businesses down in my county, you clowns? who think you can, because there's some illness out there, like the common cold, uh, COVID, we're going to shut down all the businesses. You're not doing that in my county. I will not enforce it. We're going to vaccinate everybody. Not in my county, you're not. We're going to force everybody to wear masks. Not in my county, you're not. We're going to take away the guns. Not in my county, you're not. And hey, FBI, clowns at the government level, if you come into my county and, and try to mandate these things, we will flat out arrest you. They right. don't know what That's to do with a movement <laughs> like that, but it is absolutely checks and balance related constitutional, and that is the sheriff's responsibility to protect his citizens. That's his oath from enemies, foreign and domestic, and sometimes, sadly, more so in recent times, these enemies come from government circles. And that's the problem. Their overreach has got to stop, and there are peaceful solutions. And just because we're saying the sheriff can have a posse, that doesn't mean it's violent. 
It's only violent if you clowns take it to violence. If you obey the law, there's no harm, no foul, right? Right. Well, why? What, what is up with the SPLC? Because, I mean, this pr- previous article back in February, I mean, they were basically attacking you for for your radio program. Not necessarily your radio program, but for Liberty News Radio in general for hosting, quote-unquote, white supremacist broadcasters. And, of course, that's a very loaded, weaponized slur. Um, but I'm curious, I mean, what, what's your – what is your response to all this? Well, my response to all this is you guys are lying. You're telling half-truths. You're dishonest. Are James Edwards and I dear friends? Absolutely. Do we stand shoulder to shoulder to promote God, family, and country and protect life, liberty, and property? You bet we do. Um, you know what? We're both white, so of course, and we both you know, advocate for America, so I guess you're a white nationalist if you do that, right? So the problem is that they use these scare words and manipulation tactics to try to shut us out. What I've managed to do is combine the media with America's last hope, the constitutional county sheriff, and those two things together are something that they didn't count on. We're able to tell our own story through the media. Their gatekeeping days are over. We're able to point to a solution rooted in the proper role of constitutional government. We have a Supreme Court case win as evidence of our solution. They don't know what to do with that, so they're just desperate. And like I told you at the start of the program, the more we are over the target, the more we're catching flack, the more desperate they get, the more desperate they get, the more clown moves they make. And it becomes transparent as we expose them at every turn. Right. Well, it seems pretty clear to me, I mean, based on my history with the SBLC and just following that very subversive organization over the years, they will go after anybody who is advocating for basic, you know, classic American political traditions, freedom and liberty, a sense of Christian virtue and ethics in society. I mean, even just taking like a pro-America or like America first type political stance. Yeah, anything that's God, family and country, they attack. I mean, yeah, basically, and that seems to be what happened back in February, and it sounds like – I mean, did they ever – I know that they had, like, emailed you and, like, were demanding responses. Um, so later they emailed and demanded responses, and I just took it to the airwaves and wouldn't respond to them. I did have a conversation with this guy named Jason Wilson uh, who is from Australia who has some very interesting ties that we're getting ready to expose, by the way. Uh, but anyway, I digress. I had about an hour and a half phone call and conversation with him, and that's where he literally took everything I said out of context and manipulated it. And put, for example, we discussed about where I get my money, and I told him I wouldn't tell him. It's a private company that I own. I'm the sole owner of that private company, and I'm not going to expose private contracts to him. By the way, where do you get your money from, Jason, William, Jason Wilson? Right. And he wouldn't answer those questions. And so he just twisted everything that I said. And so when I said I don't get my money from the Mormon church, I don't get my money from the top and the bottom of the hour news that runs on my radio station. It's barter. I don't get any money. He then couldn't write that I don't get money or that I did get money because he knew the truth. But he chose to lie, and he says, Bushman claims he doesn't get money from these groups. Well, when you write it like that, it's a wordsmith scare tactic. It's a dishonest delivery. The fact is he knows I don't get money from those groups, but he wrote it to kind of insinuate that Sam's claiming he doesn't, but we all know that he does. But he didn't say I did, so you can't sue him, right? They're very crafty that way, but it's dishonest, and we're going to expose them at every turn, John. Well, good for you, man. Keep up the good fight. I mean, these people are just <laughs> so malicious in everything they do. There's not an not a shred of objectivity or fact-finding or honest journalism on display in any of their writings. I mean, this is basically just a, beer, a big smear campaign designed to undermine your organization, designed to undermine the important work that the CSPOA does. And yeah, to, like I told yeah. John Statmiller, you don't want to do this, my friend. And so he didn't like it, but I started a new radio network. Mine still exists today. And I'm telling the Southern Poverty Law Center and the IREHR groups, you don't want to do this to me. Now, that's not a threat of any violence. I know you're going to try to suggest that. You lie again. I'm just telling you right now that we will expose you and we will set the record straight. And unlike other people who kowtow and run away if you call them a white supremacist, I won't. Because all I got to do is stand up in front of the mainstream in America And, hey, I'm a blind person. I don't even know what color or race any of you are, and I don't care. All right? This is America, not China, and I have every right to stand up for God, family, and country and not be attacked as a racist. Okay? You say, well, Sam, you carry some racist programs on your – you know what? I carry all kinds of ideas that I agree with some of and don't agree with some of. I also have black people on the radio. What do you say to that? Right. Okay, I got Jesse Peterson and other black people on the radio. What are they – oh, well, that's – you're just a – 
uh, an Uncle Tom then, Sam. See, you can't win with these clowns. And well, you they, never would, will. they would they would refer what you to can him. do is expose their ties. Right. Well, they would refer to a guy like Jesse Lee Peterson as a black white supremacist for some of his commentary. Uh-huh. I mean, it's so ridiculous. And I'm a blind white supremacist. Yeah. <laughs> so you got a black one and a blind one. Maybe we ought to go on the on the trail and do just like a, a campaign trail and do just like carnival show. Yeah. The blind and the black white supremacists. Go. And uh, okay, these people are losing credibility every time they do this because look, they even call like the American Family Association and and you know Family Research Council white supremacists and things. Every time they do that, it's evident they're after the Christians. They're not – they know that we're not white supremacists. It used to work. Now it doesn't to get people to shut up. Well, I think uh, that's in, in large part thanks to your activism, your <laughs> courage to, to not back down to these people and to, and to stand up to them. So I definitely tip my hat to you. And God, and way, God bless I, you, sir. I put out, I'm putting out a public press release to the, to the Southern Poverty Law Center and to the IREHR. Let's have a debate. Yeah, if you there guys you go. want to talk about it, you ask me questions, I'll answer every one of your questions publicly, and you do the same. And we'll talk about where our money comes from and everything. We'll get right to the bottom of our connections. They've refused to do it. So I wrote an article that basically says, um, is this a civil debate or a cage fight? And they're turning it into a cage fight because they're absolutely dishonest. They won't engage in any way except for uh, drive-by shootings, as Rush Limbaugh used to call them, drive-by uh, you know, media attacks. Uh, and so we know we have no choice but to fight fire with fire. That doesn't mean violence. It does mean we will play hardball, though, and we will expose them for who they are. And we will not take this sitting down. We will not kowtow and run away. We will not be afraid. And we will do uh, everything that we can to let people know the truth. And the way I'm ready to prove it is let's have a public debate. Y'all can ask any questions you want to either of us. Let's find out who's who, who's got what ties where, where the money comes from, because when you follow the money, you find out interesting things the Spotlight magazine taught me in yesteryear. And I'm telling you right now, let's see who's who. Let's do it. But yes. they won't, yep. John. No, no, I, I am very skeptical that they would agree to anything like that. <laughs> well, Sam, thanks, man. I really appreciate you taking the time to speak with me. It's uh, been a great conversation, as I knew it would be. And definitely keep up the good work, and we will stay in touch and do this again in the future. Looking forward to it. Thanks so much. God bless all of you. And again, fund this show and fund um, the American Free Press. They're doing a great job, and they all need your support. I don't get a penny for saying that. I'm just telling you the truth. Thank you, Sam. I appreciate it, sir. You have a good one. Thank you, sir. God bless. Okay. Bye-bye.